like being told we're being negative or we're being this or we're being that. But the real power is then being able to say to these people, well, you also have these other parts of yourself. And if for some reason we get routinized in certain circuitry, because that's how we interact with the world, well, are we truly using our whole brain? And don't we want to use our whole brain because we don't want to be miserable all the time. We don't want to be in pain all the time. We don't want to be critical and mean all the time. We actually do want to just rest and be at peace and get a whole bunch done. And we actually do want to play. And wouldn't it be lovely if we could find a relationship with the love that exists in the universe that, oh, that's woo woo, that's bad. No, it's not. It's right there in your brain. And you can find it if you're open to the possibility. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. Building on decades of professional experience, this podcast tackles neurobiology, modern attachment, and more in an honest way that's helpful in healing humans. Your session begins now with Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey everyone, this is Ann. Happy New Year. Sue and I are taking a few weeks off to relax. We're out hiking the Blue Ridge Mountains, by the way, with our adult kids and really rebooting for the new year, which we have coming and are very excited about some of the episodes coming your way. Today is a must-listen replay. Sue and Jill Bolta-Taylor dig into the whole brain living experience. And since that movement, since that episode, the movement really has taken off. Sue is now one of 12 certified advanced whole brain living graduates. She did a deep training with Jill Bolta-Taylor and a group and got so much out of it. And since that episode, also Sue deepened the conversation with our listeners through a book series for our Patreon and Supercast members. So those recordings are still available for as little as $5 a month. You can join and become a member yourself and get all of the content for Whole Brain Living in-depth book exploration, as well as other reading groups and training opportunities and ad-free listening. So if you are interested in that, go to Therapist Uncensored slash join. All right, let's jump into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Anne. You are no doubt going to be blown away listening to this episode by Jill Bolte-Taylor. We found out after the interview that Oprah Winfrey named her as one of her all-time favorite guests, and I think today you'll see why. So this episode is a conversational mix of fascinating life story, insights about neuroanatomy and psychology, and just damn good inspiration. Jobolta Taylor is a Harvard-trained neuroanatomist that started her career studying the brain and mental illness. However, she suffered a stroke on the left hemisphere of her brain, and through her experience of the stroke itself and her recovery, she continues to bring some of the most amazing insights regarding brain function and whole brain living. So her TED Talk was the first ever, by the way, to go viral with almost now 28 million views. And in this episode, my co-host Sue Marriott explores her thoughts on what made her message take off. What was she tapping into that people needed? So after her book, My Stroke of Insight, she was awarded, by the way, Time Magazine 100 Most Influential People in the World. So when Sue and I got a hold of the book, Whole Brain Living, we knew it was exactly the kind of material our listeners would want, and we were so thrilled that she accepted Sue's invitation to come on the show. By the way, we're going to be organizing a Therapist Uncensored reading pod for this new book for our Nerd Nerd supporting community, and we will try at some point down the road to do something public as well. 
But right now, actually, it's a great time to jump in if you haven't already and become a Therapist Uncensored supporter. So not only will you have the opportunity to join reading pods like the one on Whole Brain Living, but you will hopefully, more importantly even, be able to help Sue and I continue to produce this great content for you and for many others across the globe who might not otherwise be exposed to it. So if you can, we would sure appreciate it if you could join us as a supporter at www.therapistuncensored.com forward slash join. You could also actually do forward slash neuronerds, get you to the same place. All right. Without further ado, we bring you my co-host, Sue Marriott's discussion with Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. All right. Welcome, Jill. We I'm so delighted to have you with us. Thank you, Sue. I'm happy to be here. As a matter of fact, a listener of our podcast brought you to my attention. I had seen your work a while back, but the exciting thing was she had brought your new book to my attention and I read it and it is incredible. And there's so much practical, real life sense in it that I immediately wanted to bring you on and let us share this with everybody because anybody anywhere listening to this is going to benefit from your thoughts. Thank you. I feel that way. You know, anybody who's got a brain, the better we know, it's kind of an owner's manual. How are you anatomically organized? What can you know about that? And so how can you differentiate those different parts and use them and recognize them in other people? And you make it simple and straightforward. And we're going to get into that in detail because I really want people to walk away from this show really understanding these ideas. But if we can take half a step back and sort of just share a little bit about your journey and how you got here, picking up wherever you would like, actually, as far as what you would like us to know about you. So I became fascinated with the brain as a little girl because my brother was only 18 months older than I. And we would have the exact same situation and walk away with very different interpretations about what just happened. For example, if we were playing near the street and our mom, Gigi, would come running out screaming, he thought she was angry. I thought she was scared for us. I mean, just how we interpreted experience at the level of the brain. So eventually I grew up to study the brain and he grew up to be diagnosed with schizophrenia. So I was fascinated with how does our brain create our perception of reality and what is reality? And at a cellular level, how is it that my brother's brain is organized and wired differently than my brain? So I can connect my dreams to my reality, but he could not. He ended up experiencing delusions. So I was teaching and performing research at Harvard Medical School, studying which cells communicate with which cells, with which chemicals and what quantity of those chemicals and which portions of the brain. And then I woke up one day at the age of 37 and I was experiencing a major hemorrhage in the left half of my own brain. And over the course of four hours, I watched my own brain completely deteriorate in its ability to process information about the external world. My right hemisphere was still online, but the left hemisphere completely disappeared. So on the morning of the stroke, I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. So I was an invalid in a woman's body and I gave a TED talk. So if your listeners recognize the story, it was 28 million views, 28 was, million views. Right. It was the first TED talk to ever go viral. And let me ask you, do you have a sense of why that is? What, what was speaking to people? Yeah. Well, first of all, we were primed. There were only five or six TED talks online in 2008 because Chris Anderson had purchased the company. He had changed it. 
And he was bringing, he's a modern guy, and he was bringing it into the internet world. So we were the first group, if you will, in 2008. They said, half of you will post you and half of you, don't worry if you do badly, no one will ever see it. And my TED Talk was right at the beginning of the conference. And it was the last talk in the first session. And the first session, you know, TED is about the big ideas. And the big idea question was, who are we? And TED had heard my experience, so they invited me. And so I came to it through the perspective of who are the we inside of me? Because ultimately, regardless of how we're looking anthropologically or sociologically as a societal human humanity, who are we inside of our own brain? And just to take that journey and to hold the space for people to let go of their left brain, which is the me, the identification of me, the individual, the self, and to shift away from the self into the experience of all that is. And so many of us have had these experiences where we feel connected to all that is, and yet there's there's that me over here, and there's this internal conflict between different value structures, shall we? we say. And I think it just people resonated through their their heart consciousness, which is essentially the right hemisphere, and then their cognitive consciousness, which is that left hemisphere. So everybody could relate to it. And it's like, oh, my gosh, and it exploded into the world. Yeah, it really makes me think of a hunger that must have been there for something more that wasn't too woo woo, right? That wasn't too mystical where we would lose a lot of people. But it was a translation of the mystical into science, into science terms. Right. I mean, we have all of these experiences that we cannot explain. Doesn't mean we're not having the experiences and they're not real. It simply means we don't have the science that is designed and structured in a way that is capable of capturing the experience and measuring the experience so that we can talk about it at the level of language, of linearity, and measure it and be able to duplicate it through the scientific method. But by definition, the scientific method is a method. You have to have linear thinking. That is the way the left brain processes. So science is essentially measuring the physical world that we experience through our left brain, it's not very good at being able to replicate or capture or measure these other experiences that we're having that we would often define as spiritual or woo-woo. Yes, it makes me totally think of the translation, like the left brain doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's threatening. It's threatening to get into something that it can't understand. It's really easy to criticize and reject and push away when we don't know. And the fact of the matter is there's so much that we don't know. I mean, you can go out onto the street and you can say, do you believe in global warming? And people say no. And it's like, what do you know about global warming? And they'll say pretty much nothing. <laughs> And it's like, so we're inclined to make this negative judgment as the knee-jerk response to that which we don't know or we don't understand, as opposed to, tell me more, I'm open to the possibility. So some of the folks that believe that talking about the left brain and the right brain is 
old school. That's not old school. You know, it it went a little bit crazy. There's no question. If you want to know everything that we pretty much know a lot anyway about the differences between the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere, there's a magnificent book by Dr. Ian McGilchrist. He's male. Second, he's a psychiatrist, medical doctor. He's a lovely human being. And he's written this tome of what do we know about based on lab work over the last 50 to 60 to 70 years. And it's called The Master and His Emissary. And he'll take you into all the bird studies, even birds and other creatures, even at the level of the molecules spiral in different orientations based on how they're organizing information. So so the people who are poo-pooing the difference between the right and the left hemisphere, they need to dig a little bit deeper at the data that we actually have. Now, I will give them the argument that you're not just this or just that. We're both. We are this combination. And there are millions of circuits going on at the same time. However, the human brain can only focus on one true circuit at a time. And where is that circuit? And if I'm doing my creativity, then I have to release myself from the box of what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is bad. And those loops are organized in the left hemisphere. So the left hemisphere is really good at creating structure and order in the way that it defines as right and wrong, but that has to be quiet in order for my brain to become innovative and creative. There's no question about this kind in the way that the brain is organized. So so you can't come in and say, yeah, the right brain's all about this and the left brain's all about that and you're either this or that. No, we're this magical mixture. But the question is, do I know how to capitalize on all the things going on inside of my head? And that's what the new book, Whole Brain Living, is really about. How do I identify, differentiate which parts of my brain I'm embodying at any moment in time. And when I understand the character profiles that are are radiating from the subsets of skill sets at a neuroanatomical level, then I can choose to be in that character or identify which character someone else is exhibiting And it's based on the anatomy of the brain. So I'm not coming in and saying anything new. I'm just saying, take everything that we we understand to be true, all the research that we believe to be true, and all the experiential that we don't know how to measure, but we know people have these experiences, and let's put it in the brain and actually look at the anatomy of the brain and create a paradigm where we can marry our psychology and what we believe to be true on personality, et cetera, and put that in the brain. And Ian McGillicrest, there's also an RSA, an animation that explains this very quickly that we'll link in our show notes. And you've had the experience. You've had the actual experience of it. So it's inarguable. Because when people go then and talk about the characters later, sometimes they're going to have to deal with the pushback of it. That's too simple or something like that. So it's nice to just kind of get your, you know, from the horse's mouth, like, this is what you have to say about that so that that will empower people to be able to use this. And also, as you learn about the four characters, the part of the brain that comes out with critical hostility is a specific character inside of ourselves. And those of us who get caught up in that negative circuitry, we don't like being told we're being negative or we're being this or we're being that. But the real power is then being able to say, 
to these people, well, you also have these other parts of yourself. And if for some reason we get routinized in certain circuitry, because that's how we interact with the world, well, are we truly using our whole brain? And don't we want to use our whole brain because we don't want to be miserable all the time. We don't want to be in pain all the time. We don't want to be critical and mean all the time. We actually do want to just rest and be at peace and get a whole bunch done. And we actually do want to play. And wouldn't it be lovely if we could find a relationship with the love that exists in the universe that, oh, that's woo woo. That's bad. No, it's not. It's right there in your brain and you can find it if you're open to the possibility. From your first book, which is my stroke of insight to this book, how did that happen? And where are you with that? Book number one was a memoir of the experience of stroke through the eyes of a scientist. And I had to write that book because my mother said, Jill, you're on the phone helping all these people literally eight to 10 hours a day and you don't have a life. You need to write this down so that you can give them the material and really distribute it so anybody in need can access it. And it was like, oh, Lord, you're going to make me sit down and write. But I did because I had been sharing it so much with people in need that I did. So that was book number one. And it's still pretty much in the Amazon marketplace, the number one book on stroke because it's a fascinating experience of watching your own brain deteriorate through the eyes of a scientist who thinks in terms of brain circuitry and then what I needed in order to recover and what actually got in the way of that recovery. So then the journey to book number two was that I think in terms of cells and circuits, it's just how I've organized my brain and my life, and especially in the rebuilding of that circuitry. And to me, I lost the left brain. So I lost the left rational thinking me. She was gone. And I lost the pain from my past part of me, my emotional system. She died completely and had to be reborn in a new time. But I had this magnificent experiential character in the right here, right now of my right emotional tissue. And then I had this right thinking tissue that had me connected to all that is. And I was as big as the universe. And the fundamental difference between having a right brain and a left brain is the right brain is right here, right now in the present moment. The left brain comes online and defines with a holographic image of me, the individual. So then all the filtering of information for the left brain comes through the filter of me, the individual. And if people don't think there's a difference between me, the individual, and no me, the individual, then they've never had that experience. It doesn't mean it's not real. And you can actually ruin a group of cells in the left parietal region, which creates a holographic image of my body of where I begin and where I end. You wipe those out and I have no perception of self as individual. And with that comes language and with language, a linearity of thinking and a part of linear thinking is I, I am, I am an individual. I am separate from the atoms and the molecules around me. You wipe that out. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but you become a part of the whole with no distinction of self. I did not know what a mother was, much less who my mother was. And this is pretty fundamental information. I have to have a left brain in order to create that 
information. So I was living and breathing this concept of my two emotional systems and my two thinking brains. And I knew them very well because I lost two. I had to purposely use my right brain characters to set me up for success, to regain the skill sets of my left emotion tissue and my left thinking tissue. But what I realized was once they came back online, they had a personality and it was a strong personality. And my character one rational thinking left tissue because she comes back on and she says, great to be back. I want to take over the brain again. I want to be the boss in here. And I'm looking at, we're all in here looking at her going, we are so glad you're back online because we need your skill sets and we love you. And thank goodness you're back. But no, you're not going to be the boss anymore. We're going to have a democracy inside of this head. And so that's what I created. I just created a tool of communication between these four very distinctive characters. And I realized when I was giving a presentation, I was talking about how great it is to talk about the brain these days because people know terminology. They know about the amygdala and the hippocampus and the anterior cingulate gyrus. And it's all very exciting. But the fact of the matter is we have two amygdala. We have two hippocampi. We have two anterior cingulate gyrus. And there was an audible gasp in the room. And I realized that is what's wrong. People think we have one emotional system. No, we don't. One in the present. And what about me and my past and future? And as soon as we can differentiate those emotions, oh my gosh, clarity comes in. You know, for listeners of our show, people are very familiar with the kind of the different levels, but you're right. It's typically discussed in terms of midbrain, prefrontal cortex as one thing. And so one of the things that was really exciting was just even beginning to really think about, and then that solves the left brain problem anyway, because you have both. The other thing that you did with it is you personalized it. And that was so lovely. One of the ways that you work with these ideas is that you wake up and you check in with everybody. And I was so touched by that, like, oh, this one's not awake yet. So just even that tone of it's not shaming. There's no morality to it. It sells. It sells in circuit. I am all of it. We are all of it. And each of these groups of cells is communicating with us in one way or another. Even that part of us that doesn't really have language and just has rage or unhappy or desperation or attack or self-attack, all that. It's still energy of communication. It's all important. So there are four characters, two emotional characters, one in each hemisphere, and two thinking character tissue, modules of cells. These are actual modules of cells that perform certain subsets of ability. And I encourage everybody to name your own character your name, because it has to be important to you so that I call my character one. She's my rational left brain thinking tissue. That tissue is specifically designed to organize and categorize my external world so I can interact with the external world. So she organizes and categorizes. She has that holographic image of me, the individual. She defines me as me. She knows my name. She knows my address. You wipe her out. She defines what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. She thinks hierarchically. She's materialism-based. She cares about how big the house is compared to the neighbor. 
neighbors. You know, she's a control freak. She controls people, places, and things. Thank goodness we have a character one. And I call my character one Helen, short for Hell on Wheels. She gets it done. Sue, what have you named your character one? I was thinking of it as Taskmaster. But what I realized is I had the playful names on the right side and then just the more functional names on the left side. <laughs> and, and also, I think that I'm still learning it and wanting to teach it and share it. So it's like Taskmaster was just what came to mind. Yes. And that's what it is. It's the Taskmaster. It's going to make the to-do list. It's going to follow the to-do list. The phone's going to ring. It's going to use this tone of voice and say, hello. Yes. What can I do for you? Instead of the golden retriever. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Because character one's busy. And this part of ourselves, thank goodness, it's our A-type personality and it get, it organizes our life and it gets it done. So some of us have a lot more of that than others. You can walk into anybody's house and open some drawers and pretty much see, well, you know, some people actually alphabetize their spices. I would not be one of those people. So my Helen goes to the office. She works in the office. And you can see from my office, I still got piles, but I've been gone for six months. So I do have an excuse. But Helen's on it, you know, and she cares. She cares enough to say, hey, ladies and gentlemen, I've been gone for six months. That's why my office is a mess. Nobody else in my brain cares about that. (laughs) And your, your brain might not care either. So that's character one, the thinking, rational tissue of our left brain that specifically organizes our relationship, the relationship of me, the individual, in relationship with the external world, because I have to be organized as me, the mass, in relationship with that external world. So language is important. It's going to count well. It's going to be good with mathematics. It's going to be good with engineering because it's going to think linearly. It's going to be good mechanically because it's good at actually looking at pieces and putting them together. If I take this piece and I stick it in there before I take that other washer and I stick it in there in between, it's not going to work, right? So it's that linearity and organizational of thinking. So that's character one. So it's top left and the left side tends to have some of the negativity, some of, like you said, the comparison those kinds of things. Well, it's going to compare. It's going to compete. It's me, the individual away from you. I'm now separate from you. Yeah. So I'm going to compete with you for that job on that hierarchy because we both want the bigger house, right? We want more money in our paycheck. So we're going to compete with one another. We're going to compare with one another. What kind of shoes are you wearing? I can make a critical judgment. Well, I can wear a stiletto. You know, I got six inches going under me. I mean, it's all this comparison and competition. Do you think that this is related to some of the findings that they're finding in psilocybin research and psychedelic research about being able to turn off those parts of the brain to experience something different? That's essentially exactly what happened to my brain. I wiped out my left brain characters. Psilocybin wipes out that left brain and brings you into the experiential of peacefulness of the present moment. But we'll get there. Yeah, because there's so many positive findings about that of like, once you experience it, you can't unexperience it. It's done. And this is why very little bit of treatment can really change the course. So we have top left. Think about the top left versus the bottom left, 
Okay, so the top left is the thinking analytical neocortex, the prefrontal cortex, and those lovely things that will go in with that. Below that is the limbic tissue, the limbic emotional tissue of the left hemisphere. Well, the left hemisphere has linearity of time. It has the past and it has the future and it has me, the individual. So my past, my personal past, it got wiped out because that's where the hemorrhage happened. So the emotion of my past, the pain of my past, the trauma of my past, the craving of my addictions from the past, that's all going to be right there in that character too. And the character too, you know, there's an interesting controversy that happens about the whole happiness psychology. And there's a group of people that say, well, happiness psychology, we're happy in that left emotional system. Well, we are happy when what is happening outside of us is what we want it to be. But we're not happy when what's happening outside of us is not what we want it to be. So it's not just where we're happy, it's also where we're sad, where we're mad, where we're angry from the past. It's all our past emotional baggage. And then compare that emotion to the the deep inner joy of simply being alive and existing in the present moment. So joy is more what's going on in the right brain as compared to happy and happy under certain circumstances. So let's say you and I are going to go for a picnic and we're both really excited. And then it's raining outside. And then little Jill character two is going, well, I'm not very happy because I wanted to go for a picnic with Sue and now it's raining. And, and then the sun shines and then now I'm happy. I can train myself to be that happy under more adaptable or flexible circumstances based on the external, but inside me, I'm just pretty happy anyway. I got joy going on. That is my right brain experience. So there's a difference between the innate experience of joy and happiness based on external circumstances. So I call my little character too, Abby. Abby is short for abandoned. And I believe that the moment I came flying out of my mother's womb, where I was in symbiotic relationship with this beautiful limbic environment, and I heard the drumming of my mother's heart, and I was just part of it all. And then bam, all of a sudden, I'm shocked into this singularity of being. I've got lights burning my brain like wildfire. I've got sound. I've got people poking and prodding, in some cases, sticking needles into me. I mean, it's like, to me, that's the moment of abandonment. And upon which that circuitry All of my pain from my childhood gets built on top of that circuitry. So we have this little unhappy, critical, critical, potentially mean, blaming, pointing the finger, uh, mad at self. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm craving this. I need that. All of that is inside of us, inside of that little character too. And the value of the character too 
is those cells at the level of the reptilian brain, which is essentially our midbrain, then we have that new added on mammalian tissue of the limbic tissue, one on each side, which is gonna be fight or flight in the present moment in the right from the experience from the past or fear of the future in that left. The beauty of that character too is information has streamed in and gone immediately into both of those amygdala and the amygdala of the left hemisphere emotional tissue immediately takes what is in the present moment and says, have I ever experienced this before? Is there a reason why I should push it away and say no? Wow. That's amazing. The cells themselves are jumping out of the present moment experience because the present moment experience is a level of consciousness. And these cells are willing to step out of that blissful, peaceful euphoria of the present experience and say, have I ever experienced this before? Have I ever seen something like that before? And so let's say, for example, I'm 60 years old and I see a dog. And I remember when I was 10 years old, I was riding a bike and a dog that looked just like that was nipping at my feet and trying to bite me. So now for the next 50 years, every time I see a dog like that, that amygdala goes alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I don't feel safe because I've seen that dog before and that dog's not safe. I need to push it away. It's amazing. And then because the character one tissue is developed above and on top of that character two, then that character one is actually designed to refine the experience of what's going on with that character two. So that's what's going on in the left hemisphere. The left hemisphere is not in the present moment. And it's about me, the individual, and it has that past and that future because it is programmed at the level of those cells as they're taking exit and going into that limbic system of the left brain to step out of the consciousness of the present moment. And one of the things I love about what you're saying is this doesn't have to be trauma. This doesn't have to be the capital T trauma. Everybody has this birth experience. Everybody has this lower left, this limbic left, bottom left, that has the raw feeling and then the brain, the, the top part comes up and makes a story. You didn't say that exactly this way, but there's a story about why they're feeling that way. Is that right? And you're absolutely right. Yeah, because we talk a lot about that, about like our narrative and what is our narrative and can we update and change our narrative and therapy? Yeah, because think about that lower, and you said it, lower left limbic. I like that. That's all right there. Boom, the three L's. The lower left limbic is a dysregulation. It's an alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I don't feel safe. And so I can become deregulated or dysregulated from my normal neurological happy functioning self. When I move into the alarm, I don't feel safe. I have anxiety. I have fear. I need to go and push away and we're biologically programmed to do that to save our lives. And then, yes, now we have this thinking tissue that comes in as a human being. And that's the portion of our brains that are separate from other mammals is that neocortex. And that's defined to then create in the left brain, me, the individual and language. So now I can create the story. So I can take the energy of I don't feel safe, I don't feel safe and weave in that left brain the story. So then do we have the power to change that narrative? And absolutely, because we just made it all up. 
based on a piece of data and a piece of data and a piece of data. It's genius at what it does. Each of these groups of cells are genius at what they do. And it doesn't mean they're right. It just means they're genius and really good at what they're designed to do. And they're taking care of us. And so again, so for our listeners, we talk a lot about attachment. And so this is the attachment system, basically, is that you first have the biological experience and then that gets kind of encoded and like neural grooves. I call it neural grooves. You know what I mean? Like you've got the freeway of this is what's happening. And then the internal working model is the story that gets laid on that. People are safe. People are not safe. I'm worthy. I'm unworthy. People are going to let me down. Those sorts of things. And those cells in that left brain, they like and are attracted toward that which feels familiar. Safe is defined by that group of cells as does it feel familiar? If it feels familiar, then it's safe. But let's say then I'm looking at a person, I'm blonde hair, blue eyed, let's say someone with black hair, black eyes come in and they represent a different religion that I'm not familiar with, or they're a different race than I am, then I am programmed at that level to push away and say, that's not familiar to me. And those smells of curry and those different aromas. I've never had those before. So that's a push away, push away, push away. So our whole racism system is actually at a biological level. But can we train these? Can we use our whole brain to say, I want to go toward that instead of push away from that? One of our taglines is, uh, it's not me, it's my amygdala. So it's sort of the same thing. It's like, oh, no, that, that that's my reaction to something novel. It's not true. And it's not that I'm bad, that I have a fear reaction. We need that. It's designed to save our lives a million times in our lifetime. It's not bad. None of these systems is bad. But the question is, how do you want to live your life? And you want to live your life always feeling that fear and push away, push away, push away? Or do you want to recognize I'm feeling an anxiety? There's something out there that doesn't feel familiar, so it doesn't feel safe. Character one can come on and make the assessment and say, do I need to fix something or rearrange something? Because it's all about fixing and controlling in order for you to be able to relax so that you can actually at that dinner party, go toward that person who's different from you instead of go cuddle over here in the corner with other people who are just like you. That should be your next book, right? Is the cultural, the social implications of this. But if I can ask a kind of a more detailed question, if you don't mind, and then I'm excited to get to the right side because that's the fun part, right? Are you familiar with Steve Porges and polyvagal theory? Absolutely. He actually okay. lives in Bloomington here. Oh, does he? Oh, awesome. We love him. And I've had both him and his wife on talking about oxytocin and all of that. And our audience is very interested in that kind of thing. So the regulation, upregulation or downregulation, are we still talking about that happening in the left side of the lower left? Or is that both the right left? I'm thinking of just the limbic part, just the defensive reaction, whether we upregulate or whether we downregulate. What I'm thinking based on what you're saying is that how you dysregulate is just a detail within the left side, the left limbic. Is that right? I haven't explored his wiring maps. I'd have to do that. I do know that, you know, 70%, more than 70% of the fibers are coming up from the body to the brain instead of down. And so if we want to self-regulate in the characters two and characters three, the limbic system, 
going into the body and using the body and wiring ourselves up, which is why for the brain huddle, which we'll get to the very first step is the breath. Because the breath is something that we can immediately bring our minds to in the present moment in order to stabilize ourselves in the body in relationship to these limbic cells. The stress circuitry, the entire stress circuit is what's going on in the left brain in relationship to the character one and the character two going up and down. So I haven't looked, had my head in his book for a long time. I'd have to go back and look at that, but I will. I, I will. I will go back and look at that. Yeah, I think of it as the toddler, right? The taskmaster. And then the bottom left is a little toddler. I'm not sure if that fits, but like in the moment, dysregulation, sees the problem. The thing about the limbic cells is they never mature. So our little unhappy wounded self from our past, that never matures. And they're different ages dependent on really where our traumas come in and when we stopped being heard. For some of us, it's as infants. For some of us, we're little toddlers. For some of us, we're five or six. For some of us, we're teenagers, but it never really gets past that. And the right brain then will get there. I want everybody to hear what you just said, which is they never grow up. It's just going to be that way. So when you are doing therapy and you're doing a lot of work and then you dysregulate again or you regress back into some of these behaviors, it's not that you're doing anything wrong. It's simply that in this case, the whole brain, this has broken through, but there's things to do about that. But certainly beating yourself up that I thought I dealt with that, all of those sorts of things. No, we don't want to deal with it and we don't want to make it go away. And this is why, especially that character too, because the character two Two, because it takes the present moment and takes it into the past and says, have I ever seen this before? Give me a reason to push away. Because of those cells, we have the potential for growth. That's our growth edge. I know if I have an alarm alert that is based in my history, that's where I'm stuck. That's my growth edge. And I can either try to deny it and push it down and go off into my character one and rationalize my way around it or go into my characters three or four and escape it altogether into the present moment. But that's my growth edge. That's kind of like the pipe. And the pipe is now getting stuffed with something in there. And I need to get unplugged. It's like, pull out the Drano, pull that out, examine what is that bias inside of my perception that gives me this negative impact physiologically into my body. And the thing about when the amygdala go on alarm, alarm, alert, alert, our normal safe selves, which is our what we want to neuroregulate ourselves to you know, we've been stripped of that. And we want to go back to that peaceful neuroregulation of self, because otherwise that's going to be a disturbance inside of ourselves physiologically. It's going to be stimulating that stress circuitry on top of it. And that's when the cells in our body are going, and that's when we get sick. So if we're living in that stress, if we're living in that lack of normal, healthy regulation, the whole body is an alarm, alarm, alert, alert. You know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm actually speaking to the audience, like it's brilliant. The brain is brilliant. And the way you're describing it is how smart that that lower left is. This is not something we want to cut out of ourselves like a, like a bruise on an apple, that this is integral and very much part of things. And I love you calling it like the growing edge. 
But with enough safety only. Let's pop right and let's talk about the safety and, and being able to manage. Perfect. So as we're thinking about then, though, we got character one left thinking, high thinking, character two left limbic in the lower, character three is going to be right lower limbic. All right, right lower limbic, character three, and then character four will be right thinking, the neocortex of that right hemisphere. So the right hemisphere, biggest difference is I don't exist as an individual anymore. That's all about me, me, me. All my details are in the left hemisphere. Why about the left hemisphere? I experience myself to be big as the universe. And that was the gift of the stroke that I experienced. I completely wiped out me, the individual. I existed in an absolute quiet brain for five full weeks two and a half weeks before I had surgery, after the hemorrhage, and then two and a half weeks after. And then language, as the brain began to recover and I could start hooking back into different circuits in that left brain, because now the blood clot that was the size of a fist in the beginning and then the size of a golf ball by surgery, that once they took that pressure off, then it could kind of start to begin again. And it was kind of like a it was really like tuning in to a radio that just started out as static. But in the absence of that, I had no identity. I had no definition of individuality. I was as big as the universe. The left hemisphere wasn't there to participate. I was connected to all that is. And I was connected to, I felt enormous and expansive. And all I felt was this incredible experience of love love, love. I was so happy. I would be sitting on a couch drooling, completely wounded. And my mother would look at me and she would say, child, why are you so happy? And I just look at her and I just smile because I was in such awe, awe that this organic thing, this collection of 50 trillion cells was alive. Oh my gosh. I could experience light coming in from the external. I could hear sound. I couldn't make any sense out of any of it, but I was this machine that was alive. And I was so caught up in the awe that I would weep and I would weep and I would weep. And people say, oh, you know, when people have left brain damage, they just cry all the time. They're unhappy. They're miserable. No misinterpretation of data. We are in such awe that we existed, all that the miracle of life just makes us weep. It's amazing. And I know that there are people really resonating with you around that, that meditate, that are the spiritual, spirituality, all of these things. And I want to keep the thread too of this, this more social piece as we kind of finish this. Like I loved what you said about the person, the smells and things like that. If they put their forehead to the ground to pray, that's foreign and scary. We don't have mirror neurons versus like if you hear hymns or something that you've been raised with, immediately you signal safety. And so and even inappropriately so like, oh, we're together here because we're not discerning. So bottom right. Right. Limbic, emotional 
is the experiential. So there's an amygdala there and there's a hippocampus and there's an anterior cingulogyus. So we have half the limbic system right there in the right hemisphere, just like we did in the left. But the right hemisphere doesn't have me, the individual. It just has the experience of the present moment. What is the experience of the air? How much humidity do I feel in the air? What's the temperature of the air? How does it feel to have these glasses on my face? What does it feel like to have the clothing on my body? Just the energies around me, to have my dog, the warmth of the dog on my lap, you know, the experience of the present moment. So this is the part of us that is alive. It's alert. It's in the present moment. It doesn't have right, wrong, good, bad. So it's creative and open to possibility. It doesn't have me, the individual. So it's like communal and I want to play with you and I want to do things with you and I want to get lost playing music with you and I want to do art with you and I want to go out to the woods and explore with you and it's an adrenaline junkie so it's like oh come on Sue let's go parachuting let's go hang gliding let's go do this I'm in it's also you're in it's also the part of us that in this moment come come up with a really bad idea of let's go pick a fight let's go do this let's go do that and so a lot of character threes actually end up in jail because they weren't thinking what were you thinking well i wasn't thinking i was just experiential right i was swept away by the experience and so i call my character three pig pen because the little character in the peanuts, the Charles Schultz peanuts, that his pig pen's just walking around in a dust storm and he's good. And in his dust storm is, is just, I could have dust from Babylonia in me, you know, isn't that exciting, you know, and it's just all the possibilities. So our playful, our creative, our innovative, that's that experiential tissue. And then the thinking tissue that's added on as the human being that needs neocortex of that right hemisphere. It's not about me, the individual. It's about my connection to all that is, including the consciousness of the cells of my body. So when we learn new things, the stress circuitry of the left brain is dominant, but the relationship between the right hemisphere and the heart consciousness and the gut consciousness and the intuition, what is intuition? It's our ability to experience information on a bigger plane and then make decisions based on that patterned response as opposed to the details of the left hemisphere. So when we pray, we pray to silent that left brain so that the verbiage so that we can open up the experience of the present moment where we experience something that is grander and greater than we are. When we meditate, we do the same thing. When we perform yoga, we actually step into the character three rhythmic portions of our relationship with poses in our body. And we we open up those energy flows so that we can experience, we can escape, if you will, that left brain character one, two circuitry and open ourselves to that experience of being at one with all that is. And it's beautiful there. Hmm. I've tagged it for the moment, at least as Buddha. 
Yeah, just that's the ultimate goal of the hero's journey. It's the ultimate goal of finding Christ, of finding God, of, you know, the left brain may pray or mantra in order to preoccupy those centers in the left brain. But the ultimate goal of every religion that I'm aware of is to get from the action, the operation into the experience of being. So essentially, we're quieting the left brain so that we can open ourselves up to what is beyond or what is greater than and how we are connected to all that is. And, you know, the work of Andy Newberg, where he really identified that it's a quieting of those language centers of that left brain when nuns found God or, or monks found peace. The word surrender comes to mind. Yeah, there's that. And the left brain feels like, oh my God, that's my ego. That's me. I can't can't surrender because surrender is synonymous with death. And mm-hmm. if I put that aside, I have to kill me off in order to experience the other. And it's like, no, it's right there in your brain. Mm-hmm. That little group of cells, it's right there. You don't have to, you know, you can say little character two, little character one. We're not, we're right here. You can jump online anytime you need to. But for this moment, can we breathe deeply? <laughs> So you're sharing with us a little bit about how you pull these back together around the brain huddle. Yes. Have we said enough about the top right? I hope your people think so. Otherwise, there's a book there for them. Right. That's true. Okay. One thing that I do want to say, though, is that you call your top right Queen Toad. Queen, because she's as big as the universe, right? She's connected to all that is. And Toad, because I'm a bit goofy and I don't take myself that seriously. And, you know, if I die, Queen Toad's good with it because I lived. Oh my gosh, I had this experience. I don't have to be greedy and say, well, I have to have a hundred years of this, right? But just the phenomenon and the gratitude, the sense of gratitude that I exist at all. And I was able to recover those other tools of that left brain skill set. I want to live in that stress. I want to be able to go there and do those things, but I don't want them making my decisions for me. And so this is how we get then to my brain is now a democracy. I call it the brain huddle. B-R-A-I-N is the acronym. B stands for breath. Breath, bring it to bring your consciousness into your chest. Breath is something that happens in the present moment from the moment we're born to the moment we're gone. There is this steady train on a track called breath. I can bring my mind into the present moment. I can think about my chest. I can amplify that. I can increase the frequency of my breath or the depth of my breath. I can consciously change it in the present moment. So B means bring your brain to the present moment. Best way to do that is breath. That's why all of these Eastern techniques, first thing you do is focus on the breath. R is recognize which are the four characters. I got all these four characters in my brain. The better I get to know them, the easier it gets to recognize when they're alive and active in me and who just walked in the room with you, Sue, because you got all four too. So in relationship, any relationship between two people, there's eight of us. And most of us are really clearly aware of that. But if you walk in as your character two and I'm in my character one, I might realize Sue's unhappy. Sue needs my attention. I got to put down my busy and go into my character four and come over and scoop you up and say, honey, I'm right here. What do you need? Do you need me to hear you? Do you have, do you need to talk to me? What do you need? And consciously then shift. So R is recognize 
Who am I being? Who was I being before I call this brain huddle? And who's around me? A stands for appreciate that I have four to pick from. I've got all four and they're all available to me at any moment. And the better I know them, the better I can jump into them. So B, breath, R, recognize who called the brain huddle, who was there. I, B, R, A, appreciate that I have all four. I is inquire in this next moment. So it's like with that example, Sue came in, Sue was unhappy as her character two. I'm inquiring. Well, character one isn't appropriate in this moment because Sue's really okay. She doesn't have to fix anything. And so I, in my huddle, I'm inquiring who should come out next. N stands for navigate the next moment and then the next moment and then the next moment. And in this moment, the next moment for me is I should jump into my character for loving, open, supportive, and just come and be your friend and help you as you're in your two. And then we connect instead of fixing, which is what character one wants to do. And then character three can come in and say, um, Sue, little Sue, can we like go play? You want to go do this? You want to go do that? Let's go do this. And then you're little jump into your little three and say, thank you. Thank you for loving me, for being with me, for supporting me. Yeah, let's go play. Yeah, because two feels safer now. Yeah, because two feels safe now. Because what has happened at a neurological level is each of these are four different levels of consciousness that are vibrating in different frequencies with different vibes. We all know that. You know, if you walk into a fight, you walk into a couple of twos going, rah, 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 rah. first of all, two twos will never find resolution. So somebody's got to get step out of their two in order to find some resolution and peace. But there's an energy you can walk in and your character four can pick up. Oh, I just walked into the middle of a fight. Brain huddle. What do I do with this situation? And then do I come in as a one and try to fix it? Or do I come in as a two and just go, yeah, and da, 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 and I just fuel in that, you know, I just keep it going. Or do I come in with a playful three and try to bring a little perhaps inappropriate humor? <laughs> which may or may not work or open up to, well, when you're ready, you know, I'm going to play here. I am, or come in as just that loving four and say, I got you. I understand. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm wrapped around you, whatever you need when you're ready to step into something else. We're available. We being my four, my four, this is personal power. We have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be in the world. And that's how I ended that TED Talk. And as you asked earlier, what was the attraction of that TED Talk? And it was self-empowerment. And we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be. And then I've had over 300,000 people write to me and say, you had to have a stroke to figure that out. How do we do it with our brain? And my answer is this book, Whole Brain Living. Mm -hmm. Oh, mic drop. That was so beautiful. So that's a ton of information. And in the book, it's in great detail. And you really walk us through it. I would highly recommend every person getting it, whether you're in therapy, whether you're a therapist, whether you're just a lifelong learner that wants to keep up with this stuff. This is new. This is different. This is exciting. And the coolest thing you know, we can nerd out on the cool stuff that we're learning about the hippocampus and the amygdala and stuff like that. But it's both nerdy and practical. <laughs> it is, you know, it's like, I consider this book to be a roadmap 
to our own peace of mind. And anybody who's got a brain, biologically speaking, we have these four modules of cells. They exhibit very specific skill sets, have a lesion, have a stroke, wipe them out. It becomes very predictable. We're pretty much wired very similarly. And getting to know these by our character profiles, it makes so much sense. It's easy to see in ourselves. It's easy to identify in our partners, in our children, in our parents, in the teachers, in the school system. And we're all on a hero's journey. We're born here. And in that hero's journey, the ultimate goal is to step out of the consciousness of that character one left brain thinking, which is of the rational world, and relax in ourselves enough to calm that little character two so we can step into the true journey of learning and growth and ultimately connecting with our greatest part, which is that character four consciousness is always available. That's where our peace is. And that peace is the ultimate goal of all the hero's journeys. So we have all of it. Let's weave, let's own the power of what we are as human beings and evolve ourselves into a conscious humanity so that we can actually like feel like, you know, we're healthy. This is about mental health. This is about mental wellness. Well, as you were talking, I just could feel myself get a little emotional that that's how much it's touching my heart. And there's such a resonance, really such a resonance. It's a, uh, incredible. And the book also, it has the practical stuff. It has more about how to strengthen these different parts and neuroplasticity. Yeah. I want you to know, first of all, there's several myths in there that we're just busting out. And then we're looking at I want you to really know who your character one is. I want you to answer these questions. Where does it come out? How often does it come out? Who likes this part of you? Who runs from this part of you? All these details about your character one, give it an identity because it has an identity. And as soon as you really name it and you own it, now you can differentiate. And as soon as you can differentiate, it's like when you were born, your brain didn't know you had two legs instead of one. So you couldn't walk because you were just a big ball of energy with parts flopping around. But as soon as your brain figured out you had two legs that you could move independently, oh my gosh, you gained the ability to have motility and mobility. And that's exactly what we're doing with the brain now. We're just differentiating and refining our understanding of what is this beautiful thing inside of our head. And it's just a bunch of cells. It's bringing it up to the level of symbolization where that then you're right, that we can have the meetings and stuff like that. I was having a little fantasy of like you and I walking over to the Texas legislature and uh, giving a all day workshop, teaching people to get to know these parts of themselves. Exactly. Because all of a sudden, I mean, won't it be great when someone who's in there too, you know, people come in with their two and they're angry and they're spewing venom and they're mean and they're all this and they're blaming and they're all that ugly. And we got so much of that going on in our society now, even out in public. I mean, we've really increased our ability to be our character too out in society. Well, wouldn't it be great if instead of feeling, oh my God, reject, reject, push away, oh my God, you know, there's a character too and it's mean and it's ugly and it's attacking, to be able to instantaneously say, 
oh my gosh, in our character four, that person needs love. That person needs to be heard. That person needs to be listened to. That person needs to be regulated back into their own sanity. And I, we have the power to do that for one another. That's a different society. That's an entirely different society. And even if we're not able to do that, that we can have this regulatory, you know, regulation to navigate, to go back to the brain, the in, to be able to navigate that. Yes. And at least, you know, begin with self, begin with individual. But really, once we master that, for me, the goal is to help other people who are in pain. Because when we come out screaming, we're just screaming. There's no language there. There's no maturation there. There's desperation and deregulation. And we just need to be able to wrap ourselves around people's pain. Your pain does not scare me. The day I can walk up to you and say, your pain does not scare me. And please, when I'm in my pain, don't let my pain scare you. Just surround me with love and we'll get to the point where we can communicate and then find true negotiation. I'm wondering what's next for you. Do you have anything in mind that you're going to do next? Oh, absolutely. And actually, because I'm more of a character four that just is going to like wait and see what happens. What has happened now in the last six weeks is all of these people who are running not-for-profit and foundation organizations who are doing yoga in prisons or yoga with AA rehabilitation or cancer with children or teaching Taoism and whole brain living in China. All these people are coming to me and saying, this is what I'm doing. How do I bring whole brain living into my network? And I say to them, what do you need from me? How do I support you? And so we're building this enormous neural network and I'm inviting everybody to the table for play. And one of the other things that's magnificent is working, I'm working with a woman who is creating a research project She's almost done with the proposal to the IRB to run a whole brain living program in a school system. So that is for the teachers, the parents, the children, the principals, all the administration and doing some data collection to show that we can change the conscious culture of a school system. And if we can do one, we can do it everywhere. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Well, one of the things that, you know, Therapists Uncensored could contribute, you know, we have people all over the world and some are practitioners and some are just natural healers without letters behind their names, which we welcome with open heart and learn from and learn from. Yeah, we'll have some character one academics and some character four wizards. I want them all. That's right. That's right. And another thing that you're saying that's also a little different is it's not that we're aiming to stay in our four. It's not that one is better. It really is more of the harmony. It, well, it's it's all four. We have all four. As humanity, what we're doing at a, at a stage of neuroanatomical evolution. We now have this new thinking tissue on top of this old limbic stuff, right? And the old limbic stuff is alarm, alarm, alert, alert in both hemispheres. So now we have this thinking tissue placed on top of that as humans, the neocortex. So now we're working the kinks out between the fibers of how do we interact character one with character two in the left brain, character four and character three in the in the right brain, as well as character one and character 
character four through the corpus callosum, as well as character two and character three through the other commissures. We are uniting our brain. The evolution of humanity is combining all these parts of the brain. I don't want just one. A character four, I can tell you, it's blissful, it's euphoria, it's fantastic, and it is 100% ineffective and it's paralyzed. It can do nothing because it has no perception of self in relationship to the external world. I was completely non-effective as a character four. I am totally competent as a character one. I know my growth edge as a character two. And I know when to push away and when to evaluate so I can head toward. And my playful character three, oh my gosh, who doesn't want to play with Pigpen? <laughs> that's so true. So is there any organizing principle that's happening that is not just little old you, which is, I can just imagine you being flooded. You said 300,000 contacts. Bring it, bring it. We're at that stage where the book's been out since May 11th of this year, 2021. So now people are reading it and they're reading it three or four times. I mean, people are- Oh, people are going to listen to this podcast multiple times for sure. Material is amazing because it's about me and not me, me. It's about you, you. And it's about me and it's about us. So then whoever you are, come- I'm creating a team now to catch the balls. Everybody's starting to throw the balls at me. I don't know what the balls are. I know what some of the balls are, but we're navigating it as we go. So Dr. Jill at drjilltaylor.com. That's my email. I hope one day, I'm sorry that I gave that to you, but (laughs) because I got so many emails, but bring it. How do I support you in what you're doing to bring this material to the world? Because we all have this beautiful brain. And the faster we can communicate like this, I don't take it personally when you say something to me. It's like, oh, that was your little two who just spit some venom at me. Honey, I love you in spite of yourself. Are you hungry? Are you tired? What do you need? Right? I'm all about it. And so then another thing people could do right away, you've got the TED Talk that's amazing. The first one was my stroke of insight. And then the one we've been talking about mostly today is whole brain living. And you can find that anywhere. We'll definitely link it. Is there anything else you want to refer them to or articles or PDFs or anything like that that we can put in the show notes? My team at Hay House has drjilltaylor.com is my website. I've given over a hundred podcasts in the last six months. So I'm just planting seeds. And now what happens, it will grow organically. And I'm here to catch as much of the balls as I can. And I need to know what do people need? Someone said, I need a one page for a leadership conference. I'm adding this to at the last minute. I need a one sheet with the four characters at the top. And then what's going on in the brain huddle that I can just include. So let me know what people know. We'll be posting things on the website that you need that you can use. I'm just saying, go, go, go. These beautiful brains. We want to help ourselves and we want to help others. And this is a beautiful tool. It so is. And again, I'm just resonating so much. As I mentioned before, I have a a niece that was 24 years old when this happened, had just graduated with her aerospace engineering degree. I don't know why that that's important, but it just, it's not what you think of when you think of a stroke victim, nor a doctor and got hit with a stroke super weird that it was at age 24. And same thing. So I'm, this is really a passionate 
space of like of losing part of your mind and and bringing it back. And honestly, psychedelics is another thing. That's a another subject. But I think that that is some of why the results are so positive and so strong. Absolutely. The psychedelics are essentially quieting that left brain attachment of me to self and me to the external and allowing me to have this magnificent experience of, oh my gosh, I'm as big as the universe. Without the circuitry, I am as big as the universe. And at the core of the universe is this intense feeling of love. And when you come back from that, you're going, oh my God, this left brain is a tool. It's not who I am. And really, I want to live my life through the value structure of the collective whole, because we got to fix that. We got to connect with one another and we got to heal this planet because without the planet, we don't have a life and us healing one another is our mental health. We do have the power to grow up to be a healthy humanity. Well, and honestly, I, you know, even about climate, I think part of what happens with climate and the planet is that we either get overwhelmed, that it's too scary, or we dissociate, and we just can't think of it. And so what you're describing is if we could be like, I loved what you said earlier, about I'm not afraid of your pain. But part of what happened was you weren't afraid, you were freed of the fear of your own pain. And you were freed of it. And So if we could do something and and create ripples of helping people not be afraid and being able to be regulated so that we can deal with the hard stuff like climate, like whatever it is. Yeah, it's very exciting. And consider that each of those four consciousnesses, the consciousness of character four is the one that's always there. It's the consciousness in ourselves. So if we want to heal ourselves, we need to get to that vibration and that energy. Okay, now I just freaked out a bunch of people's left brains because, oh my God, she's doing woo-woo. Well, woo-woo is real. Woo-woo we label as woo-woo. Woo-woo we reject because we don't understand it. Call it something else. Call it the circuitry of your right brain. Don't deny the existence of those abilities simply because of a bias, because little character two is saying, that doesn't feel safe. We can't measure it. It doesn't work. Those people are weird. They're different from me. That's just a character two. And then character one comes in and tells the story and says, oh, it's woo-woo. It's not real. No, it's anatomy of your brain. We have all of these capacities. Don't deny yourself the righteous ability to be a whole human being. Give yourself that gift in your lifetime. Why wouldn't we want to do that? (laughs) What a gift and what a gift, what a gift. Speaking of gifts, uh, I'm so excited. I can really just, my brain is popping. I can see all kinds of fun things. So we've shared your contact information. This is uh, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. And the book in particular is Whole Brain Living, highly recommend. If it moves you to have a reading group, certainly contact us. Right now we have a community. It's a Supercast community. You can find it at therapistuncensored.supercast.com. Low as $5 a month. You have access to each other to do discussion and stuff like that. Always an ability to pay. Happy to, you know, work with you around that anyway. That's fine. But we want it to be accessible and help you organize some of this stuff. And also, Sue, I gave a three-hour webinar, an hour over three days, 
it was all the material and then talking about the brain huddle because people have obstacles and it's like, let's get around those. And I will get that linked to you to yeah. give to your people. So wherever you post drjilltaylor.com, I do have a Facebook page, but my team are posting all of these podcasts. We can do whole brain living and mom rage, whole brain living and sleep problems, whole brain living and Buddhism, whole brain living and all these different subjects. So, you know, the beauty of the whole brain is it's all in there. So it's applicable to every single subject there is for us as humanity. It is. And the thing about it is it's very easy to understand. It's very, it's quick to understand. But what's hard is like you said, it's the application of it and what kind of support people need to do the huddle. To me, that's really where the juice is. It's like, how does this, how does this translate? Power. The brain huddle is the power. And there's just nothing like being able to sit back and say, all that angst and hostility you're feeling, I'm sympathetic to you and I don't have to feel that. Empathy doesn't mean I have to go bleed in your blood and sit in your blood. It means I can hold the space while you bleed and just love you back to health. Well, thank you for your generosity and we'll stay in touch. Thank you, Sue. All right. Thanks so much for listening and joining us today. If you feel like you get some powerful information from this, think about becoming a Therapist Uncensored supporter. You could join now for as little as $5 a month, get ad-free listening. Also, really do a great cause. Help Sue and I get this great content out to many others across the globe. Let's build together security one episode at a time. If you could join us for as little as $5 a month, go to www.therapistuncensored.com forward slash join. Pass us on, rate and review us if you have time. That makes a big difference for us. All right. Thanks for joining. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. 